Not today. Let's uh, let's pray in preparation for the uh, message today. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us today. I pray that you would help me to be uh, faithful in preaching the word. Help me to um, focus on your scriptures, on on your heart, on uh, bringing out the treasures uh, in your word uh, for folks to for folks to hear and for folks to know you more. I pray that your your gospel would be present in everything that I say. That I would be um, just focused on on that, Lord. The the message of the entire scriptures that that Christ died for us. That that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, the the material we're going to be talking about today is from Second Peter. We're continuing in Second Peter, and this um, to give you a heads up. This is a a uh, a heavier like harder bit of text, right? And it's harder from a di- couple different angles. It's a very angry bit of writing. Um, it is also, uh, it's got some tricky little uh, interpretive things. And so we're going to do our best with it. Before I dive into that, I, I, uh, I read on Facebook this morning a, a, uh, from a member who was horribly betrayed recently, discovered a lifelong deceit. Um, where, where their entire lives they had been deceived about something, and they suddenly discovered that, that what they had believed to be true, they had been lied to over and over again. There was a lot of anger and a lot of frustration. Apparently, canned pumpkin pie material does not include any pumpkin. And this is a horribly upsetting thing for Stephanie, who ranted about it at length on Facebook. It was... It was there was a lot of bad language. <laughs> and <laughs> um, she did post on it. And, and the reason I'm t- starting out with pumpkin, uh, pumpkin pie, because I, did anybody know that? Apparently pumpkin pie, canned pumpkin pie is squash. But it, you knew it? Well, so it's a fake pumpkin. <laughs> you hear the bitterness? Do you hear the the deep, heartfelt wounding that has taken place as a result of this? I know this is a really lighthearted way to open this. Um, this is it is a it is a tougher bit of text, and I I uh, I wanted to start with this because um, see now it's warm in here. Who made me turn the heat up? Um, because. The, the teachers Peter is talking about are people who have come to this church and presented themselves as the genuine article, 100% pure pumpkin, right? Now that's the analogy, 100% pure teachers of the gospel, right? These are people who have come to this church and are embedded in it, and people have come to believe and accept that they are amongst them and that they belong there, and to the point like where they're not being expelled for what they're doing, but the thing that happens is they start teaching things that are not the gospel, right? The things that they're teaching, it, it looks good, it smells good, it tastes good, it is... In the immediate context, people are being misled by it, which I, I feel is, you know, like, like it, it, it's fake. Um, but people aren't catching on to the fact that it's fake. Um, like pumpkin pie um, filling. It, it looks like it, but the label's wrong, and it's just a trick. Um, and in the end, when you eat it, you discover, well, I don't know, I never discovered it. I, you see it on Facebook. 
Um, the analogy breaks down there. Um, these guys are there, and what they're teaching, we talked about this a little bit. Um, again, this is in Peter, so this is Peter writing this letter. He's writing to Christians in Asia Minor. Um, a lot of them are likely converts uh, or diaspora, like Greek uh, Jewish people who became Christians. Um, and so there's a lot of kind of weird stuff mixed in with this text, and we'll, this is another example of this, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and so... Uh, and so as we kind of get into this, like uh, um, that's his audience, his false teachers. What they're teaching is that Christ isn't coming back, right? They're teaching folks Jesus will not come back. He is gone. This is it. There will be no judgment. There will be no accounting. We are on our own. And um, the implications of those teachings are going to come out in this bit of text here. And this is where Peter kind of loses his temper. Um, it's not clear if he's dictating or if he's writing this, if he's writing it, he's probably breaking the pencil tip over and over again, if pencils had been invented, but they hadn't. But um, he, he is angry, and the language that Peter uses in the Greek betrays a great deal of frustration and a great deal of, like, seething anger over, over these fake um, teachers, over these fake uh, um, prophets who'd come and were putting themselves out there, like, we're speaking for God, and in reality... They were speaking for themselves. Um, now, there's one last thing before we dive in. Peter is going to cite some traditions here. We talked about this last week. Um, the Jewish teachers over the centuries had this habit of they would look at the original text and they would say, for example, well, Abraham took Isaac to the mountain to be sacrificed. Where was Sarah in this story? Why didn't she complain? And then, like, she never gets mentioned again until she's dead. And so, like, the Jewish tradition became, like, well, why is she out of the story? There's, surely there's a good explanation. And some rabbi came along and said, well, Sarah heard the news and dropped dead. She was so upset that she died. And, well, except that the book doesn't say that, and you're pretty much adding it, and, you know, like, like whatever. But there, there are instances of this in Peter's letter here where he cites the Jewish traditions. Um, I, in this case, he's, it doesn't make them true. It makes them things that he's citing to reinforce his arguments, right? Um, I, every once in a while, will cite movies. It doesn't mean that the movies actually happened. Got it? Um, I, I just cited a Facebook article. It's probably, like, made up. You know how Facebook is. Um, <laughs> like, like, Peter's citation of it is purely to advance his argument. Um, and so uh, we're going to hit that, and it's going to be an interesting thing, and we'll get to it when we get to it. So... Diving in, um, bold and arrogant. All right, so in the previous sermon, in the previous section, he talked about how there will be false prophets with the church forever, but don't worry, they're like accumulating judgment against themselves. They think they're there, that there'll be no judgment, that they can teach and say whatever they want, that they can mislead the church, that they can do all of this stuff, but in reality, they are accumulating like wrath. Um, this is a little like there are times when I'll leave my kids with a babysitter and while we're gone, they'll misbehave and there's no immediate consequence because the babysitter is limited in what they can do. And they begin to assume this is going to work out. And so they continue to misbehave and then they misbehave more boldly and bigger and they keep doing it and it gets worse and worse and worse. Actually, this happened with Dusty once, right? Where they, and I came home and she's like, you would not believe how your children behaved. And, and the fire from the sky rained down. Like, like 
these guys are thinking they're going to get away with it. But in reality, they're building up God's wrath against themselves. And so he has explained that, look, judgment is coming on these guys. They are not going to just do this. So we shift gears, and now he says, bold and arrogant. These two words are almost identical in meaning. And he is really wanting to punch the idea home. Because this is Peter, like, losing it. Right? These teachers are, like, they're speaking about things they have no idea. Um, they're speaking well out of turn, as though, you know, as though they have authority, as though they can speak on these issues, um, but they're speaking purely from ignorance. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even the angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such things or in such beings, when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. All right. This is officially the hardest thing that we're going to look at here. And the problem is that pretty much we don't know exactly what Peter is referring to here, right? Like, we're going to guess. There are three popular guesses. I think that there's one that's really strong based on some other stuff that's written in the New Testament. Um, but he says they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. These celestial beings, the word is glorified ones. Um, this is the NIV. They translate it as celestial beings because it's implied that it's angels that he's talking about. So it could be angels. Um, it doesn't work real well in the context um, because he is going to talk about these beings in a way that makes it seem like they're probably not just angels, right? Like, and specifically, he says, look, even other angels aren't willing to say such things when they bring God's judgment on these glorified ones. Um, it could be church leaders, but again, it falls apart on that same argument, right? But there are people who've argued kind of convincingly, and we don't really know. He's probably talking about demons, right? Like he's saying, these guys are not afraid to speak ill of like the evil beings that exist in the world. Like the, the fallen angels, they, they're trashing these things. That's a weird thing to say, right? That is a weird thing to say. Um, but we need to look at it in context. These guys are saying Jesus won't do anything. You know, God won't do anything about our sin. And then they're turning around and they're saying there isn't even really evil in the world. It's not a problem. You all with me? Like they're downplaying the impact of evil, the impact of of Satan and the fallen angels on, on the creation. Like, they're downplaying it. Um, why does that matter? Well, I don't think it's a bad thing to say, well, these guys are awful, you know, everything else. But, like, I knew a guy who was big and strong and tough when I was a kid. And amazingly, no one ever said anything bad about him with an earshot. You know why? <laughs> because it would have worked out really badly for them. Um, because you don't talk trash about the guy who can take, you know, take your lunch money and, like, make you say thank you for taking it, right? Like, you, you, don't, you don't attack the guy who can run you over. And that's what these guys are doing. They're trash-talking like evil. They're taking it so lightly, and they're throwing it to the side as though it's nothing. And in reality, they, you know, I, I can dislike someone and respect the fact that they're dangerous, Right? Like, and he's saying, listen, these guys are so arrogant that they're tossing aside the enemy as though he's not the enemy. Um, there's a, a moment in history that I know very well because I lived in Texas twice, and they teach it every year in Texas history. I've also heard my wife talk about it, I think, in reference to Texas history when um, 
the army of the, the Texas, you know, Texas Republic Army. I don't know. They were whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the Texans are, are, are backed against a river. Their independence fighting army is backed against a river. And they are um, across the field from Santa Ana and his army. And there are like, you know, ten times more of them than there are the Texians. Um, and, and they're there. And there's a pretty good chance they can't retreat. There's a pretty good chance if it comes to a straight fight, they're going to get destroyed because every time the Texans fought the Mexican army in a stand-up fight, they got their butts kicked, right? Like really kicked. Um, and, and so they're across the field from these guys, and Santa Ana declares a siesta, and the entire army takes the day off because Santa Ana looks at the Texans and says, these guys aren't going to be a problem, and so let's go take a nap and we'll fight them later which was all the way up until the Texans charged across the field and captured most of the Mexican army napping um, because they looked at their enemy and they said, you guys aren't a real threat, right? You guys aren't a real danger to us. We're going to do whatever we want. And in reality, what Peter's saying here is, listen, these guys are talking trash about beings that can destroy them. These guys are talking trash about beings that are dangerous. And so they're arrogantly speaking um, in a way. They're talking big and bad. And in reality, they're... You know, they're bringing judgment on themselves from God. Um, not even the angels in heaven talk, talk like this about, um, about the fallen angels. Um, in the book of Jude, there's a reference to a really weird story that's in the tradition about um, the archangel Michael collecting the body of Moses from the mountain and, like, fighting with, a, with Satan for the body of this angel. It's from the Jewish tradition. It's not scripture. But it's, it parallels this story. And basically... All Michael does is show up and announce God's condemnation on, this, on Satan, and Satan like falls back and retreats. He doesn't fight him. He doesn't trash talk. He doesn't anything. He just says, hey, God says I'm here to get this. It's mine, and he backs off. Again, it's Jewish tradition, um, but Jude as a book is very, very similar to Second Peter. Um, and in fact, actually, throughout the commentaries, they sort of put them next to each other, and it's really unusual to find a Second Peter commentary that isn't also a Jude commentary. Um, read it. It's like a chapter, and it seems like um, there's a lot of interconnection between them. Anyway, um, so Peter announces, he's like, these guys are awful. They're arrogant, and they're dumb. There's nothing worse than being arrogant, except if you're arrogant and stupid, right? And I don't mean to trash on stupid people. It's just kind of a thing. Like, but these are people who think that they know more than they actually do. Have you all ever known someone like that? <laughs> don't point at me. Um, but they speak out of turn as though they know everything, and in reality they don't. And they speak out of turn about the enemy, and they don't know. And part of why that's a big deal is because, like, the church faced persecution. The church faced, like, spiritual oppression. The church faced these things, and these guys are telling everybody, yeah, don't worry about it, it's all right. Ah, don't worry about it, none of that's going to be a problem. Don't worry about it, it's all made up. Um, in our world... Um, in our world, what is it that uh, C.S. Lewis said? The, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis. The, the smartest trick the devil ever played was convincing man that he didn't exist. Um, and, in fact, actually, it's the beginning of Screwtape Letters. It's a great book. Um, they, it talks about how, like, the official policy of hell is be quiet and let everybody assume we're not there. Right? And, and that's kind of what these guys are doing. They're downplaying the reality of Satan. Right. And there's another end of that. I mean, we can turn it into something it isn't. I, I knew a gal in college who 
had a statue in her bedroom that she took out in the parking lot one day and smashed because he said, it's possessed by a demon of lust because I can't control myself with that thing around. And then she got pregnant like three weeks later. It wasn't the statue. Like, we, we sometimes want to blame Satan for things that, like, Satan has nothing to do with, right? Like, like Satan is there, but, but you can find him under every rock, but, you know, and he ain't there. Or we can... We can ignore him and get, our, get ourselves run over, which is what these guys are doing. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand, referring to demons. Um, they are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. Like animals, they too will be perished. You can see Peter all ticked off as he's saying this, right? And he's ticked off because this is a church. These are people who came to know Christ. Um, who are saved by Christ's death for them, like who are new creations. And these folks have moved in, and they said, these guys are easy marks. We're going to go ahead and move in, and we're going to cash in on them. And they're taking advantage of them. Um, some of you guys who are parents, like uh, maybe have seen your kids taken advantage of by friends, friends, or taken advantage of by like somebody who is fleecing them or whatever. Like, like there are people all over who do this. They, they rob and they steal, and they look at people as like, what can I get out of you? Um, Peter's angry because he's watching his spiritual children get robbed, um, get manipulated, get misled. And so Peter's response is anger and rage. And he calls these guys, they are unreasoning animals. Um, I thought about this. I heard a great sermon on this, actually, where a guy said it's a little like cows. Right? What do cows exist for? Steak. <laughs> right? Um, I don't think it's a great analogy. I think actually coyotes is a better analogy, right? Coyotes, you know they're there. I was walking to the gym the other day. It was still dark out, and I listened to the howling. You know, oh, it's winter, um, even though it's still summer. It's not even right. Um, but coyotes exist to destroy, to catch, to eat, to hunt down um, and they don't really serve a purpose. They don't bring anything to the table. And the best thing that, that most farmers will do, like they spot them, and what do they do? They shoot them, right? Um, because as long as they're around, your cattle are in trouble. As long as they're around, I, that's the Durgas have those dogs, right? They're little horses in reality, but they, they, they're dressed up like dogs, and their job is... To, to, to fight the coyotes, because otherwise the sheep would be gone, right? Um, God's flock in this instance is being hunted down by coyotes, or wolves is the way the scriptures would describe it, but wolves are a little more removed from our culture, um, whereas everybody knows what coyotes are, right? Um, and so he's saying, listen, they're like, they're unreasoning. They're not thinking. They're acting on instinct. They want what they want, and they will do anything to get it. They will kill maim, destroy in order to fill their pockets, in order to fill their desires. Um, so we go on here. He says, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their ideas of pleasure is to carouse in the broad daylight. Their blots and blemishes, revealing in their pleasures or reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. So, um, Peter, again, first sentence here. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they're doing. The damage they're doing to the church, the damage they're doing to believers, the damage they're doing to, to the cause of Christ, they're going to answer for it. Um, honestly, I, I, there are uh, tons of preachers and tons of writers 
and and folks who will come along and say just insane things that have nothing to do with who Christ is. Um, I, I I pick on a lot of them, and so I'm, I'm you know I'm not going to toss out a bunch of names now, but I want to. Um, but I, we'll run out of time. I'd be here all day doing this. Um, but these are folks who are getting wealthy and flying around on private jets while you know people empty their half-empty wallets looking for healing or looking for some you know blessing or looking for for buying their way into heaven or looking for something that that they're not going to get because they're being sold a bill of goods right these are people who are feasting um they're devouring god's people um and peter's response is the things that they're doing to the church they will answer for they will they will you know they will face god for what they're doing and it is a big deal um, their ideas of pleasures is to carouse in broad daylight. So ancient Rome was not known for being conservative or uh, like moral. There's maybe a better way to say it. Conservative is not the right one. Like they were ancient Rome. There's kind of a reputation for wildness, right? For, for loose living. Um, ancient Romans considered it to be an enormous offense to party in the middle of the day. Right? Because you can be wild, you can get drunk, you can go to crazy parties, you can do all of this other stuff. But, like, if you're partying in the middle of the day, you didn't go to work because you were busy partying. <laughs> um, this would be the rough equivalent of, like, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Right? Like, when you meet folks who are half drunk in the middle of the day, like, we generally look at that and say, hey, you know what, it's like noon. Maybe you should, you know, cut back a little bit. Um, these are folks who are are in front of everyone doing as they please, who are defying social convention in the name of, of partying. Um, blots and blemishing revel- blemishes, revealing pleasures while they feast with you. Now, Jude has a parallel passage I think that's really good, and I'm going to share it with you. Um, these people are blemishes at your love feast. Now, the love feast would be like church. You would gather up, you would have a potluck, right? Because in the ancient world, most churches revolved around the potluck, Right? (laughs) Not making it up. Um, So you would do your your meal together. You would celebrate. You would do your worship together as a part of this. And then afterwards, you would do the Lord's Supper. Right? Um, And these guys were getting drunk at these meals. These guys were forcing other people out of the way so they could get whatever they wanted. And so they could overindulge. Um, Jude says... Their blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, meaning these guys are leaders who aren't feeding the sheep, they're feeding themselves. They're clouds without rain. By the way, what better Montana analogy is there? You know, thinking about June and 90 degrees and looking out at the fields and you see those clouds up there and you think, oh, please, right? And then they just drift right over. <laughs> you just feel betrayed and cheated, right? Um, I'm not a farmer. I've heard everybody talk about it. Uh, they're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Um, Judah's sharp, right? Um, some translations, instead of calling it blemishes at your love feast, say they are hidden reefs at your love feast, meaning like you're sailing along and all of a sudden you hit something under the water and the bottom half of your ship comes out and you sink and die, right? Like they are people who are 
in plain sight and are ready to devour. Um, there are three ways that we're going to see that these guys are, are off, okay? Um, the first one is, and I'm going to back up here to 2.13, um, their desires, their, their minds. Like, they're all about, like, filling their desires, all about, like, like reveling and partying. Um, Peter goes on then, and he says, With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They're experts in greed and a cursed brood. Um, full of adultery, with eyes full of adultery. The phrasing there is really awkward. Um, it's like uh, with with adultery full of adulteresses or something. It's really unusual. I can't remember off the top of my head. I apologize. Um, the general idea here is they look at every woman they encounter and they think, how can I have my way with her? Right? Like they don't, their attitude toward the church is, how do I meet my, my lust? How do I feed my lust? The, and, and again, this is indicative of the way these guys are. They're approaching the church. They're approaching the church as an opportunity to get what they want, as an opportunity to, to, to have fun at other people's expense. They look at women and they don't care like that they're children of God, that they're daughters of the Father, that they're um, saved by grace. They don't care about any of that stuff. They're looking at them and thinking, how can I have my way with her? Um, and they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. Um, the idea here is that they are targeting folks who are um, either like not well grounded in their faith or not um, prepared to respond. They're they're told crazy things and they come to believe it and they become targets as a result or they become victims as a result. Um, Ephesians has a good phrasing for this. Uh, then we will no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What, what Peter's ta- or Paul is talking about in Ephesians, he's saying, listen, when we grow to maturity in Christ, we aren't tossed around. But the idea is before you reach maturity in Christ, you're tossed around. You're thrown back and forth and you, you're not stable. You're unstable and you're, you're bouncing around. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever – actually, the – triathlon I did a couple years ago, I got the wrong kind of kayak, and my kayak was designed for something different, and so every time I would get paddling and the current would hit me funny, I'd spin around, or I'd start to tip over, or, and it was the kind that you're supposed to be able to roll over in, because you're supposed to go in rapids with it and stuff like that, but it was really unstable, and it was really hard to travel any kind of distance, because I was so frustrated and so, like, busy trying to keep myself from drowning, um, (laughs) And, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking about people whose faith hasn't been grounded, who haven't figured out like, like how to understand Christ properly, how to commit themselves completely. They're young in their walk. Um, I, I almost think of a, um, there are a bunch of toddlers around right now. If you watch after church, you'll see a handful of these guys who can't quite walk, right? And they sort of toddle, and they tip, and they pitch as they walk. Um, that's the idea here. These are false teachers. These, these, um, these coyotes in the church are watching for people that they can say, oh, well, they're not stable. I'm going to move in and take advantage. Um, and the big thing there is, again, um, like Jude says, shepherds feeding only themselves. They're not feeding the sheep. They're taking care of themselves, which is a reference to Ezekiel. Um, these are people who are looking at the church. They're showing up to church every Sunday, and they're saying, how do I get mine? How do I have my way? How do I consume this person? How do I get what I want out of them? 
Um, they're experts in greed was the last line that Peter used. And uh, these are people who not only are greedy, but they've brought it to a whole new level of mastery. Their, their efforts to fill their pockets. Um, this would be a little like uh, years ago when I was in high school, junior high? Wow, junior high? And I'm old. Uh, there was a TV evangelist who said, God has told me if I don't get a million dollars in gifts from you people, I will die. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that, right? And he got it. And it worked so well that like five years later he did it again, except he didn't get the million dollars this time and he didn't die, right? Um, They're experts at filling their pockets. They're experts at getting what they want. Uh, three or four years ago, there was a popular TV evangelist who did a, I must get this Gulfstream jet, this one specifically, like this, you know, there's a five-year waiting list, and I'm going to need $200 million to buy it. And when asked, like, why don't you fly coach, he said, because airplanes are full of demons. And you don't want me to be exposed to demons, do you? It's an expert in greed, looking at the church and trying to figure out how to, how to pay out. They have left the straight way and wandered off the way of Balaam, some of Bezer. All right, Balaam had a donkey. We know this story. Um, Balaam was a prophet who was hired by a pagan king to curse the people of Israel. He had a dream where God came to him and said, Hey, hey, don't go curse my people or else. And he decided to do it anyway. And so he's riding on his donkey. To, to his appointment for cursing the people of Israel. And the donkey encounters an angel, which Balaam cannot see because he's not a very good prophet. Um, and the donkey sees the angel, and the angel's got a sword. And the donkey says, oh, I'm not going that way. And so Balaam beats the donkey. And the donkey still won't go. And finally the donkey says, hey, knock it off. And all of a sudden he can see the angel, and he's like, oh, wow, thank you, donkey. Um, the donkey did not fly away, nor did he go to a swamp where he helped Shrek get rid of bad guys. But it was a talking donkey in the Old Testament. Um, in Jewish tradition, there is a whole story about Balaam's donkey. Like, it's huge and overblown. It didn't probably happen. Um, but there's some references in this. Um, so Balaam, who loved the wages of wickedness, meaning God warned him, and he did it anyway because he was more interested in getting his than in like fleeing God's wrath. Um, But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech. Now, mind you, the donkey only says, stop hitting me, basically. Um, But in Jewish tradition, the donkey lectures him for about a half an hour, right? Um, Just will not stop complaining. Like, hey, don't you know, like, see what's happening? And um, the animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So here we have... He's saying, listen, he's like this Balaam guy who is there, you know, these, these false teachers amongst you, they're out there, they're cursing God's people, they're pursuing destruction, they're approaching an angel who's going to wipe them out, and like, like, they're like this guy, and a donkey, a stupid animal, by the way, there's a parallel here, earlier he said their animals worthy only of being gathered up and destroyed, right? And he's saying, look, this animal worthy of only being gathered up and destroyed lectured him about why he was wrong. And he's kind of drawing out the fact that these are people who have no idea how bad what they're doing is. Um, And actually, if you think about it to scale, 
if you really believed God is wrathful, you probably wouldn't line your wallet with his people's money. And you wouldn't look at them as victims, like for you to mark, you know, easy marks or whatever. You wouldn't do that. Um, but they're so greedy and they're so overtaken and they're so senseless and, and dumb in their selfish desires that they destroy themselves. What do we do all, with all this? I mean, there's a lot, right? It is an angry bit of text. Um, first off, we have to not be unstable, right? Like, because generally the people who are targeted, the people who are approached, the people who are hunted down by these false teachers are people who don't know the word. They're people who have not matured in their faith. They're people who don't know better and are easily tricked. I mean, and the number one way to fix that is to not be one of those people. Um, But we also have to be willing, like the Durga's dogs, right? I I came out there once to visit them, and they had, uh, I heard John saying, oh, yeah, well, so-and-so, I don't remember the dog's name was really chewed up this morning. He must have fought off a pack of coyotes. Um, and there are people in this room whose job it is to watch her coyotes and make sure that they're not hanging around, right? It's our job to know the word. It's our job to be able to back up and say, no, 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 no. Think about what you're doing. Nope, this isn't scripture. Or people whose job it is to pull us aside and say, Maybe you should think about what you're doing. Maybe your actions right now don't blend with what God desires of us. Um, there are a handful of guys in this room that I talk to regularly, and I say, was this correct? Is this the right way to go about this? Am I thinking about this wrong? And I need that because I'm human. Um, it is easy to allow our emotions to get ahead of us. It is easy to allow people who say clever things that sound good. It's easy to let those people trick us. It's out there. It's all around us. Um, And so finding grounding, surrounding ourselves with people who know better than us or know what they're talking about and can call us into account or offer perspective, these are two ways um, we can watch people and see how they act. I mean, like the big thing that we're seeing with these false teachers over and over again, right? They're lustful, they're greedy, they're drunk half the time, they're out carousing. I mean, you probably noticed this, right? Um, There was a, when I worked for the Presbyterian Church, there was a pastor uh, who was brought up in our synod, who was brought up on, uh, synod in our state group, who was brought up on charges because he was using church money to visit gentlemen's clubs. And his argument was, God has sent me to witness to these women. And that's why I need church funds to do this. We all agree that looks shady, right? Like, it it just is. Um, But if you watch, that guy ain't fooling anyone. Like, people know. Like, you can't trick people forever. In reality, people watch and they'll say, you know what, that guy ain't genuine. Um, I'll tell you straight away, like, I I screw up a lot. I do my best, right? I'm not going to stand here and say I'm perfect. The moment you hear a preacher say, I don't sin, I am perfect, I never fail, you should, your your spidey sense should tingle, right? Um, The moment somebody says, I am the ultimate authority, that's a problem. Proper teaching, proper authority comes out of the scriptures. Proper authority is us standing in Jesus' spot and parroting the words of Christ. And that's what Peter's calling out here. He's calling out this tendency to speak on their own. Um, what will always happen 
always, always happen. When somebody goes out and they teach false doctrine, when they feed themselves, when they pursue greedy gain in the ministry or in any aspect of their lives, it destroys them. Greed is like cancer. It eats us through and through, and eventually it wrecks everything about us. Um, my encouragement to you all and my challenge for you all is, like, look at your life. Are you, are you in a place where you're prepared to play guard dog? Um, are you unsteady? Do you check people against the word? Like, do you check what I say, which you should? Um, make certain I'm not off because, because I'm not going to be here forever. Eventually somebody else will show up, like in 40 years when I die. Because um, it's about the only way I'm leaving. But I will probably die eventually. Um, the next guy, or the book you're reading, or the you know, teacher you're listening to in the car on the way here, or the music you're listening to, or whatever. Is this scriptural? Is this in harmony with God's word? Is this claim true? I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Um, there's a board meeting downstairs pretty quick after church today. So I'm going to close in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you would help us to be people who, um, who pursue you in all things. Help us to be people who measure against your word, who, who test, um, test the words that we hear, that like challenge teachers and, and look for truth in, in, in your word. Help us to be people who reflect you. And, and Lord God, most of all, help us to be like Peter, um, playing guard dog for the church. Help us to protect those who would, would be taken advantage of and consumed by folks who chase after your sheep. In Christ's name, amen.